Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings today to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7, starting from verse 7. Earlier we just covered the first six verses, and it ends in verse 6 about how we serve God in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And what is beginning to be taught to us, to our understanding, is that this relationship with God is something that comes from the heart by God's Spirit that is within us. And when we get to chapter 8, we're going to be dealing with a life in the Spirit as a follower of Yeshua, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what really sets us apart. Right now in chapter 7, we are dealing with a conflict between the law, the law of Moses, and the sinful nature that we have, and how the law cannot break the bondage of sin. Remember going back to chapter 6, sin shall not be master over you because you're not under law, but you're under grace. It is the grace of God through the newness of the Spirit, a life in the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ that truly breaks the bondage of sin within our lives. This is the theme that we're looking at. Chapter 7 is about the law, and the law is holy, and the law is good, but the law cannot break the bondage of sin. So let's pick up on verse 7. Today, Laura is with me and Alan as well, and many of you have mentioned that you have really enjoyed having them on this podcast, and I echo that, that it's really great to have them both here, and they are faithful to join me. And so together, we're going to look at these verses and see what God is saying through Paul to the believers at Rome. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So may we never think of the law that is something that is sinful. May it never be. In fact, the law that was given to Moses, to the people, made sin very clear. It made it utterly sinful. When we look at sin, it made it very clear that what sin is, what is right and what is wrong. And so when we look at this, he is also dealing with the moral aspects of the law, like we have been dealing with all the way through every chapter, and what he is bringing out to us, the understanding, you shall not covet. We understand that is against God's character, and that's against God's law. What God is wanting from us is for us to be content, content in the things that we have, content in our position within life, and to seek God and to be content in whatever circumstance that we are in. So the law teaches you shall not covet. Now, verse 8, but sin, take an opportunity through the commandment. What is sin? Sin is that sinful nature that we have that longs for the things that other people have. But sin, take an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. 
So look at this statement, and let me read verse 9 that goes along with this. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So let's break apart these two verses here. But sin, I believe, is talking about the sinful nature that we have and the sin of coveting. When I was taught not to covet, but sin take an opportunity through the commandment. Now, if you go to verse 9, what is this time that once I was alive apart from the law was a time when he was growing up? You're growing up, and you're not really accountable for your own actions. When we look at little children today, we look at them, and we don't hold a little child responsible for their actions when they're two years of age and they go and they steal something out of another child's hands or they push another child down. They are not really accountable for their own actions because they are still developing. But there once was a time that Paul was like that, but then when he was taught the law, then he started to understand, I cannot just come and to rip something out of someone's hand and take it for myself. I cannot come and just push down and to take from them. I don't know if you've ever seen kids two years of age, three and four, but they will do all kinds of things to each other and not even thinking that there's anything wrong with it. Then it's up to the law, the mother and the father, that starts coming around and saying, absolutely not, you're not to do that. And you start laying down the law for that child. Do they get it immediately? No, they do not. But as they get older and they start to become more responsible for their own actions, that law that you have taught them, they start to understand. I do, I do have boundaries. I cannot go over to Alan and just take the things in his hands away from him just because I want those things. I need to be content and be satisfied with what I have. But then the law is taught, and I look at it, and what Paul is saying, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. So even though we grow up and we start learning right and wrong and the law comes, and there's a time that we were alive apart from that responsibility, we were not accountable for our own actions. But when the commandment came, sin became alive. And what does Paul say? I died. Because he found himself coveting of every kind in his life. He was coveting things, and it was the commandment that was good and holy that was to produce the right thing in his life. But the commandment, because of sin, began producing more coveting. And you look at this reality, and if every one of us think about our own lives, think about us growing up, coming to an age of accountability. And I want to say there's not anything specific here that would point to that what is the age of accountability. Some say at the bar mitzvah that you would look at this is the time, but no, there's not anything specifically here because Paul would have been taught the law growing up by his parents in the synagogues. But the the bar mitzvah is a time that they read from the law, and there is a general understanding to the public that they are responsible for the law 
themselves. Yeah, and I think to reiterate what you said earlier, you know, about the law not being sin, it's talked about this before, the, the works for rewards. The law does, it just shows you how much you can't keep it. You know, it shows you how sinful your nature really is, and all the things are right, and it's God's word, and it's what he told Israel to do. But it just also proved the point that there's no way you can keep this on your own, you know, without a supernatural strength, without God, without mercy, without, you know, the sacrifices they had to do. So it really just shows you how unholy and how sinful nature you have. And yeah, like Paul Paul said, once you're told no, tell a two or three-year-old no, or even a teenager no, a lot of times what are they going to do? They're going to do the opposite of that, or they're going to do it just because you said no. But yeah, that law that God gave us shows us that rebellious nature and really brings that out. And the only way we can not do it is through Jesus. Yes, and think about this, Alan. He picked the commandment that really is something that is happening with inside of us. Everything happens first with inside, but to covet is something that's happening internally. So when we're a child, we go over and we take something out of another child's hand. We don't think anything about it. Uh, We're not really accountable for our actions except for the father and the mother that comes and gets on to that child. But as we get older and we start looking and we understand that this is wrong, I need to be content, but here is my friend and they have a nicer house and they have a nicer car and they have more physical possessions than I have, then that coveting is not something that I go and take away from them. Now, that can happen through trickery and dishonesty, but it is something that is starting from the inside. I want what they have, and that is what Paul is dealing with. I found myself coveting of every kind, and that's something internally that was going on within Paul. Do you think the law provoked that coveting in a way? Like I'm thinking back to your child, and there's something glass on the table. Well, They might not even think about touching it until you say, now that, don't touch that. And then they start thinking, oh, I really want to touch that. So does the law also, in a way, provoke us? I think, yes, you could say that. I'm more comfortable in saying that the law makes sin utterly sinful. So, yes, curiosity within a child sometimes will will look if a parent says, do not do this, then if you had never said that, the curiosity of the child looks at it and wants to do it. And I think in some ways that does happen. Also, that commandment that you gave to the child not to touch the glass table was a good law that you gave to them because you love them and you wanted to protect them. But the child is looking at, why does mommy not want me to touch the glass table? And that goes all the way back to the beginning of of the original sin of how Eve was tempted and saying, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of it, he knows that you will become like him. And so that curiosity within Eve was to go and to take of the fruit. So it has to deal with trust. It has to deal with faith that the law that was given is a good law. But for a little child to look at a glass table or to something you told them not to touch, the curiosity is, let me go and touch it. If you had not said that, they probably would not even be thinking about it. But I'm more comfortable in looking at, in the context of what Paul is saying here, it makes sin utterly sinful. And as Paul was taught the law growing up, 
it became very clear I should not covet, but I found myself coveting of every kind. So there is an age of accountability in verse 9. He says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. How did I die? Because I saw that I couldn't get a handle of this coveting that was going on within my life. Going back to verse 8, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And again, that is tying in to verse 9, this age of accountability. And all of us that have come to this age of accountability, whether or not we have the Mosaic law or the law that is written within our hearts called a conscience, we have an understanding of right and wrong, and we are accountable for our actions. Now let's go to verse 10. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. This commandment that was good, that should have brought life to me and the right way to go, what it brought to me is an understanding that I was coveting of every kind was going on inside of my life. What should have brought life brought death to me. For sin taken an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Think about that. The commandment of God came, which should have brought life, brought death. Why? Because of the sinful nature that we all have. Sin taking opportunity. When we look at that, through the commandment, the commandment is coming, making sin utterly sinful, and then we look at it and it should produce life. We know in our mind that we should be doing this, but sin taking opportunity, this sinful nature is producing coveting of every kind. Verse 12, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. When God said, do not covet, that should produce life. That reflects the character of God. We should be content But the commandment itself cannot break the bondage of sin. Law cannot break the bondage of sin. It is the grace of God that breaks the bondage of sin. So hold that thought because this is what we're dealing with, the conflict between the sinful nature and the law. Verse 13, Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. This is the context of the law, to make sin utterly sinful. That which was good, that was the law, did not become a cause of death for me. The law is given to make sin utterly sinful. So this is the context that we're dealing with. However, the law cannot break the bondage of sin. This is what we're dealing with in chapter 7. Verses 14 through 25 is going to deal with this conflict between the two natures. The conflict of the law and the mind that is wanting to do what is right in the sinful nature that is within us. And we know that we should do this, but we find ourselves practicing the very things that we know that we should not do. It is a conflict with the law. Can you clarify here if Paul's referring to 
our nature before we become believers? Yes, it's a good question because some, and I've seen it most of my life, make one of the biggest mistakes at this time in interpreting scriptures because they look at Romans 7 as post-conversion. There's not anything about the context that is dealing about a life after coming to know Jesus Christ. That's chapter 8. What we're dealing with in chapter 7 is the law that is being taught and what we know to do what is right in our mind, but we find because of sin, the sinful nature, us practicing the very evil that we know that we should not do. It's a life before we come to Christ. And when we get to the end, we understand what sets us free. And verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we will get there. It is Jesus Christ that breaks the bondage of sin. Not only does he forgive us of our sins, but we're not saved by God to live in sin, but we're saved by God to be a slave to righteousness, Romans chapter 6, to live for him and to live a life in the Spirit, chapter 8. So in chapter 7, the law condemns us. This law that tells us not to covet, how does it condemn us? Because sin taken opportunity, we find us coveting of every kind. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for what the law could not do was accomplished through Jesus Christ. So chapter 7 is talking about a pre-conversion state that Paul is talking about a conflict and a battle about knowing the right thing to do but not being able to do it because of the law. The law does not set us free. Only Jesus Christ sets us free. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. As a person, we understand the bondage of sin that is upon a person's life. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. I know not to covet, but I'm doing the very thing that I know I shouldn't do. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Do you see the battle between the mind and the spiritual nature? It testifies that the law is good because I don't want to covet. I do not want Alan's house. I want him to have that house, but I find myself wanting that house and wanting his possessions. But by me understanding that is wrong, I'm testifying that the law is good. Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Let me read verses 18, 19, and 20, and we'll talk about these verses. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. These verses here have caused some to create a kind of Gnosticism, and I've seen it in several churches even recently that says that it's not me sinning when I sin, but it's sin sinning, but I'm free from that and I'm not responsible for my sin. This is not what Paul is doing. Paul is dealing with the mind of knowing the right thing to do and the sinful nature that is within us. 
he is not trying to say we are not responsible for our own sin. So no longer I am the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's this sinful nature that is controlling me, that is leading me the wrong way, and I know that I shouldn't do it, but it is sin that is compelling me in a certain direction. You can also see the contrast that this is speaking to a pre-believing state because someone who's a believer, it's constantly telling us to be self-controlled, to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. You know, we're to be adding, and this is someone that's completely out of control. Yes, and the law cannot bring us into this understanding of following God through a life in the Spirit. That's the reason why when you go back to verse 6, and let me read verse 6 again, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. If we have not died to the law and released to the Messiah in a relationship with God through the power of God's Spirit, and like you're saying, it's the Spirit of God that leads us in the way to honor God, to cry out, Abba, Father, that helps us to pray even when we do not even know how to pray. This is all from chapter 8. So the life in the Spirit is as a believer that testifies of who we are, not the law of God. So the law of God here is testifying of what is good, but Paul is finding out he can't keep this law, do not covet. This kind of speaks to me a little bit, looking at a a non-believer, a person that doesn't know Jesus, just how... You know, they may be a good person, they may want to do what's right, but they just can't do it. They're going to they're gonna struggle with this, you know, this, this nature, this sin nature, until they come to Christ. And I think looking at that, sometimes it's easy to look at the world and say, wow, this person's so awful, they're doing this. But in their mind, they may want to not do that, or they know that that's wrong, but they just keep continuing to do it. And I think having that empathy as a Christian for non-believers, this is their nature, it's their sinful nature. They're, they're a child of Satan, if they're not a child of Jesus. So kind of look at that, especially now, there's a lot of stuff in our culture you can get really upset at that's going on in the world. You know, most of it's through non-believers. Some of it's in the church, but you see people acting and doing just evil things. But this is their nature. This is their sinful nature, and that's why it's even so much more important to share the gospel, because that's the only thing that's going to break them from that bondage, even if they are a good person, even if they want to do it. Or they think they're a good person. Or they think they're a good person, yeah. Yeah, now think about this aspect, because you brought up a really good aspect about the law. In the world in which we live in, that has rejected law. We live in a pantheistic society that everything is relative. There's not a concept, a real concept of sin. Most people in the world, what do they say about themselves? I'm a good person. And they have convinced themselves that they are good. If I'm not hurting someone, I am good. But sin always hurts God and sin always hurts other people. Paul's not coming up in that background. He's coming up under the law of Moses, and he knows very clearly what is right and what is wrong. He's not coming up in a pantheistic society and pantheistic ethics where just do whatever you want to, and people that grow up in that culture can live in such terrible sin, but you ask them, are you a good person, and what do they say? I'm a good person. Now, there is that conscience going to what you're saying, that tells them what they're doing is wrong. And I do believe that conscience, an internal law that God gives to every individual unless it is seared, yes, they understand what they're doing is wrong. 
but they're disguising it, and they don't have the law of God. They don't have the ethical system of the Word of God, so they just kind of go their own direction. Paul is in this situation from a young child. He is taught the law of God. He still has that sinful nature, just like the person that has not been taught the law of God. Both are dealing with that sinful nature. And so Paul is dealing with this, and knowing that what he should do, he's not doing, but he wants to do the very thing. He wants to do what is right, but he's doing just the opposite. Verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now, that is another verse that you know, contextually, this is not talking about a believer. A believer does not practice evil. A believer does not live in sin. A believer is not in bondage to sin. A believer does sin when we get to 1 John. In fact, we make God to be a liar if we say we do have no sin. However, when you get to chapter 3 of 1 John, he who practices sin is not born of God. We cannot claim that we are born of God if we're living in sin. So here, the very evil that Paul doesn't want to do, he's doing. So in his mind, he knows it's wrong, but the sinful nature is taking its opportunity by the commandment, and he finds himself living in sin. But in no way is he saying contextually from this whole time that I'm free from the responsibility of my actions. What he is emphasizing is that the sinful nature has him in bondage. This flesh, this sin that is within me, that is causing me to do the very thing that I don't want to do. Now let's go to verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. The law tells me to do good, but I find out this evil is present in me. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Inside of me, I know that I should not covet, but there's this sinful nature that I'm dealing with. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. This sin has me in bondage, this sinful nature. I'm in constant conflict between what I know to do, but I find myself practicing the very evil that I know I shouldn't do. Now, let's look at verse 24, because Paul's going to say, wretched man that I am, talking about this conflict with the law between his mind and the sinful nature, what he wants to do, yet he finds himself practicing the very evil that he knows that he should not be doing. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Who's going to set me free from this bondage that I am? Who's going to make a difference within my life? And then he makes the exclamation, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus that sets us free. It is Jesus that forgives us of our sins and breaks the bondage of sin and gives us a life in the Spirit. That's chapter 8. And we're going to be getting to chapter 8. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, going back to the original conflict here, 
So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So the only thing that's going to set me free is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This conflict is a real conflict for a person that has the law of Moses, a person that has a conflict with just their conscience, and they look at what they should do and they find themselves doing just the opposite. But there is only one person that's going to set us free and praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The most miraculous thing about God's salvation is that we go from a wretched man to a holy one. God calls us holy ones because of the work that he did. And that's just so miraculous, that change. Yes, that his righteousness, God's righteousness in Jesus Christ. And we stand in his grace, going back to chapter 5. And we're not enemies with God, but we're at peace with God. And the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. And now we are holy before God. It is a wrong statement to say right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. The right statement was, I was a sinner. I was in bondage to sin, but through Jesus Christ and his holiness, now God considers me holy. And he calls me a saint. What is saint? Holy one. And so, do we sin? Yes, we sin. 1 John chapter 1, when we get to this letter. Do we live in sin as a sinner that's in bondage to sin? No way. We are led by the Spirit, and I'm not perfect, but He is my perfection, and I keep on pressing on to the things that God has for me, and I'm being led by God's Spirit, and my whole desire is to honor God. A life that is being led by the flesh, the sinful nature, even if they have the law, all the law is going to do is condemn them. You're not right wretched man that I am. I come under this condemnation. So what is going to set me free? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let's read chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You see, the law condemns us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Praise be to God. Your only chance of living a life for God is through Jesus Christ, through God's grace, through a life in the Spirit, through a relationship with God, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that these words have honored you. I pray that we were true to the original intent of what you were saying through Paul to the believers at Rome. And God, just like you were strengthening their faith through your word, let our faith be strengthened. And God, may we always take responsibility for our own sin and understand that only through Jesus Christ can we be set free. And Lord, set us free, and in whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, we are free to live for you, and thank you for this freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.